I'd like us to begin in the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 3. In verse 11, whoa. but we'll read from verse 1, but in verse 11 it says specifically, God, He, has planted eternity in the human heart. That means no one has been left out. Even the most devout atheist has not been left out. That means the Lutherans in Iceland, uh, who their philosophy is when you die, you die. That's the end. You're just dust in the ground. Um, I mean, they're believers. They're, they're Lutherans from uh, uh, Iceland, or is it Greenland? Anyway... That particular portion of, of uh, Lutherans believe that there is no afterlife, that you just live it all here, and when you die, it's do- you're dead. And I don't care what their doctrine is. I don't care what their disbelief is. I don't care uh, what man's philosophies about things are. The Bible says here, God says, I planted eternity in the human heart. In fact, I think he planted eternity in all of his creation. So let's begin to read in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Verse 9. What do people really get for all their hard work? I have seen the burden God has placed on us all. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded that there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. And I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. What is happening now has happened before, and what will happen in the future has happened before, because God makes the same things happen over and over again. Verse 14 again, And I know that whatever God does 
is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him, reverence him, love him, know him. So God's purpose is that people should know his love and love him, reverence him, bring honor to him. Purpose is essential to life. We've been posting, um, some time back I put together who we are and what we believe. I don't know how many have, have seen this, but we've been posting it little by little on uh, one of our social media things. I can, huh? So if, if it, I'm just going to pass these around because that's kind of what I'm going to cover this morning. you want to just take one and then pass them back? The purpose is essential to life. Every person has some purpose in life. Um, How many times have I, as a pastor, had somebody come to me and say, what's my purpose? And then also, how many times have I had people come to me and say, well, what's our vision as a church? What's our vision? You know, uh, there's a proverb that says, without a vision, the people perish, the people cast off restraint. What's, what's our vision? Well, I want to talk about that a little bit. What is our vision? Well, first of all, let's get it right. We need to understand our purpose before we can ever understand a vision, because if we don't have those things right, if we don't have purpose established within us, what is our ultimate purpose? We fall into lesser ideas of what it means to serve God. And we begin to fill our time with things like, well, maybe my purpose is is this. Maybe my purpose is just that. Uh, And what's our vision as a church? Well, let me tell you something about that. Churches for centuries have fallen into, our vision is to build a bigger building. Our vision is to have a TV ministry. Our vision is this. It's a lesser vision than I believe that God has intended because the people don't know how to have a vision that God has given them. So they want an exterior vision produced for them. You need to understand your purpose and then vision will come into your life. Vision will order your life into itself. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will do what? He will direct your path. In other words, you won't be visionless. It's okay for a church to have vision. It's not a bad thing at all. I'm not saying it is. But I'm saying that that alone is not fulfilling to the total purpose of God. Oftentimes, it's a lesser plan than what God had. Because, see, God put eternity in the heart of man, every man, every woman, every child, everything he's created, he put eternity in their heart, every person he's created. 
And as I said, purpose is, is essential to life. Every person has some purpose in life. What do you think your most important purpose is? Well, be a good husband. Well, be a good father. Um, you know, be successful. Those are all good things. But that's not the purpose that you were created for. Well, I want to be, um, you know, successful. I want to be wealthy. I want to have things. That's not what you were created for. You can have all those things, but that's not why you were created. The Bible reveals that we can only have one of two purposes. Either a self-centered purpose or a God-centered purpose. Again, in all your ways, if you will acknowledge him, see, in everything you want to do, you simply acknowledge him. That. That doesn't mean you never do anything. I've seen people that are just in a stalemate. They're just, they can't move because, well, I just keep waiting for God. No, just acknowledge him with it and then move forward because you've got to have faith that he will direct your path. In Matthew chapter 6, let's turn there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. We're going to examine some scriptures to see the, the teaching of scripture about the only two possible positions we can take, self-centered purpose or God-centered purpose. Before we became Christians, we had a self-centered purpose in life. It was all about survival. It was all about what I want, you want, we want, that kind of thing. Verse 26. Look at the birds. They do not plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? No one... I'm going to back up now to verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. Now, the reason I switched those around is I wanted you to get an idea. First of all, God cares for you. I want you to understand God cares for you. He cares for you that, that you'll have food, you'll have clothing, you'll be taken care of. In fact, we're blessed beyond measure, uh, especially in this nation that we live in. We're just so blessed. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. That's. But in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying you can't serve two masters. 
So why not serve the master? Why not love the one who knows your value, has given you purpose, has planted eternity in your life, in your heart, and is going to make sure he takes good care of you? He's going to provide for you. But Jesus makes it very clear here. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve two purposes. You cannot have a self-centered purpose for your life and a God-centered purpose for your life. Over in Matthew 12, verse 30, Jesus says, Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Again, we have to make a choice, a choice of surrender, a choice of surrendering our will. In all my ways, if I will surrender my will and acknowledge him in what I'm doing, he will establish my goings. In all my ways, if I will acknowledge him, if I will put him first, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and he will add all these things to you. We have to have the purpose correct. We have to have our understanding correct. I I liken sometimes to our, our Christian faith as to a person that goes off to college, goes off to university, and changes their, um, their, uh, major every year. I had a cousin like that. He changed his major every year, and it took him 12 years to get a four-year degree. If we don't know our purpose of what God has for us, ultimately, we keep trying to please Him by changing what we think it means to please Him. We keep trying to serve Him in ways that we think, oh, this is the new way to serve Him. This is the... uh, We hear a a preacher come to town or you hear a great message on television or radio and you go, oh, that's it. I've been missing it all along. Now this is my purpose. Well, we're going to get to the ultimate purpose and all other things after that can fall into place for you if you get this established. The essence of sin is self-centered purpose. That is that my will is committed to gratify my selfish desires, my needs, my wants. What is sin? The essence of sin is self-centered thinking. Lifestyle, mentality, purpose, self-centered purpose. It's not, I used to smoke, I used to drink, I used to chew, I used to go with girls who do. You know, it's, it's not those lesser habitual things that, we, that, that are habits. We're talking about the sin that's the essence of sin the origination of sin. 
The more you commit your will to self-centered action, the more deeply entrenched you become in patterns of selfish habit and thought. But when you repent and you put your faith in Christ's victory over sin, the Holy Spirit begins a process of transforming us from within. In Romans 12, 2, it says we're being transformed. We will be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the washing of the water, by the Word of God. There's a transformation that takes place. The transformation is from the Holy Spirit giving us understanding and revelation and teaching us God's Word and God's purpose and God's plan. Thursday night, we had our uh, men's carnivore night, and we had uh, Mike McSwain, the speaker. How would you enjoy that? He was good, wasn't he? He was really good. He talked about what influences you. Where's your influence coming from? I thought it was kind of exciting. We had uh, our seating was outside, and of course, we've had nothing but sunshine and heat and, and stuff, and Within just sitting down to start to eat, it starts to sprinkle. And we're like, eh. But by the time we literally got up and moved inside with our plates, ran for it, it was the hardest rain we've had all summer. I mean, it just came down in sheets for about 45 minutes. But it, it worked out really well, and we all gathered in here. And he had a great talk to us men about what influences you. Now, I'm not going to repeat his message. I'm using that to say Romans 12, 2, the washing of the water to the renewal of the mind. Our greatest influence in our life should be the purpose of God, his word, and a relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to teach us. That's our number one influencer. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13. How are we doing? Everybody with me? It's been a wonderful summer. It's easy to want to just fall asleep and take advantage of it. Isaiah chapter 14, beginning with verse 12. Now, this is this these passage. This passage reveals the thoughts that were in the heart of Satan at the moment he turned from God. It's a good test for in all your ways acknowledge Him. To. Um, I have left that off and made some decisions about myself. So let's see how that works. Verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods, far away in the north. 
I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the Most High. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. You see, what was in the heart of Satan was no longer the purpose of God. He was, he was the angel of worship. He led the heavens in worship to God. And suddenly there was something that took place, and he said, instead of my purpose is to bring glory to God, he says, my purpose is to bring glory to myself. I will. Not to get too far into politics, but I just did a little research on this because it stood out to me when our previous president, uh, in his first inaugural address, uh, referred to himself and said, I, 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 I. And I was like, it, it stood out to me. Now, I don't hate President Obama uh, or his wife. I don't make fun of them like you see on social media. I don't call her a man. I don't do all these things. I just don't do that. He was my president. I prayed for him. But you can't help but see when some person is totally centered on I. So I did a little comparison and I, I did a little search. How many times did he say I in just his inaugural address alone? And it was some 292 times or something. I will do this. I did that. I am this. I am that. And so I said, well, compare it to uh, Trump, who did it like 67 times or 47 times. I can't remember. But there was a huge difference. No, I'm not saying Trump is all this and Obama was not. They're both presidents. They both deserve our prayers. They deserve our respect. They deserve us, you know, uh, pray for those in authority. Honor those in authority. Really? Honor somebody that you don't want to personally honor? I did not want to honor Obama. He stood against everything I, I believe in, in one sense. But I went, that's not my purpose, is to honor or dishonor him. My purpose is to bring honor to God. And God says, pray for him and honor those in authority. And I never said anything bad about Obama during his eight years of president from this pulpit. Doesn't mean I agreed. But I have a higher purpose than just whether I agree with the right or the left or the middle or the up or the down. Those are not my purposes. Those are lesser purposes. And when people lose sight of the purpose of God in their life, they have nothing but those things. Oh, this is my purpose now, to make sure that on social media they know how I feel. Not that I don't read those things. I love seeing where people stand, and I don't judge them for it. I pray, God, show them your purpose is greater than that. Show them your purpose in this life for them. But anyway, the second we see Satan turn, it became no longer, I'm here to bring glory to God. My purpose is to glorify him To I will glorify me. I deserve. I deserve. I will. Often when we fall 
from that being established in our hearts, we, we say, well, I'm just going to do this. Well, I'll just do that. Well, don't fall into that. That's a scary place to get to. I've done that. And it always comes back to bite you on the backside because God doesn't let go of you. He still has a plan for you. He still has a purpose for you. And he lets those things that you decide to come back and affect you. Jesus' life displayed exactly what it meant to be yielded to God's purpose. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. In chapter 10, verse 6 and 7, You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God. That is written about me in the Scriptures. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It's so important when you are establishing yourself in God's purpose that you're looking to him, is this your will for me? Is this your will? Lord, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done in my life. Well, what is God's will for your life? Your will is to love him, love your neighbor as yourself. His, his will for your life, that your will be done, Father, is that you would be... Um, in, in prayer, having a relationship with him. I was talking to Jeff this morning, and he was saying, you know, when I pray, it's just like I'm talking to God, uh, just talking to you. You know, I'm just having a conversation like I would to you. I don't, I, don't, I don't feel led to pray these. He didn't put it in those words. Those are kind of my interpretation. But he said, you know, where we get kind of all strange about the way we talk to God. Oh, mighty God, I come before you. You wouldn't talk to your friend or your brother or sister like that. Oh, mighty Carla. Oh, Vic. Have mercy on me, Vic. Now, where you leave off from that, I believe a conversation with God. I believe prayer is conversation with God. But where you leave off from that, I think, is where you move into worship and praise for him. That's okay to take on a different texture, a different feel, a different, a different place. <clears throat> anyway, that's a little side note. Probably, hopefully, it fades away. But Jesus said, I came... I have come to do your will. He was yielded to God's purpose. John, the book of John. I think I read Hebrews 10, 6 and 7. Mm -hmm. He said, I came to do your will. Okay. 
John chapter 8. In verse 29, we see this aspect of Jesus. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. Now, again, that's a difficult thing. Some people get stuck in like, well, I I just want to please God. What can I do to please God? Is this pleasing to God if I go to Target and look for this item that that I've wanted in my heart for so long. I don't know, God. You know, years ago when we were, um, had a, 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 people come to us, Nancy and I, for counsel, and they would like, well, first of all, I, I don't know if I should should go visit my parents. And we were like, well, if it's in your power to do it, go. Well, then we don't know if we should park uh, pack in a suitcase or a cardboard box. We don't know the will of God on that. I'm like, when you have the purpose of God in your heart, the rest all fall into place. You don't even have to think about those details. He says, behold, the birds of the air and the the flowers of the field, they don't think about those details. They just do their life. They just live their life. I says, I've seen in Ecclesiastes, we, uh, we read... You know, the thing for man to do is to enjoy the fruit of his labor. To eat and to drink and enjoy life. Why can he do that? Why can you do that? So many Christians can't enjoy life because they're afraid of whether that's God's will or not. Well, if you have it established in your heart, your purpose. Now, here comes your purpose. Your purpose that God put you on earth for. It has nothing to do with your uh, vocation, your occupation, your gift, your your uh, anything else. It has to do with your ultimate purpose. Your ultimate purpose is this. You were placed here by God. And he made you the way he made you. Because only you can do it the way you do it. It's to bring glory to him. I'm here to glorify God. Behold the lilies of the field, how radiant they are, what glory they bring. And you're greater than the lily of the field. And you were put here on earth to bring glory to him. Your purpose is to bring glory to God. Your purpose is to do the will of God. The will of God is what? Glorify Him. Glorify Him. Bring glory to Him in who you are and how you are. John chapter 17. I think there's going to be a move of God we're going to see start to take place. There's, there's, uh, there's change in the air for this world. You know, there's, there's different moments in time 
where things begin to shift in the world, and we're in a we're at a tipping point right now in the world for certain uh, powers that be. Um, and with it, you see Israel. I've always been taught, and I believe this, when you see God moving in Israel, you'll see him moving in the church. When things happen with Israel, you'll see it happen in the church. There's been an, a period of time now where there's been a real uh, attack on Israel as far as who, who's really who's really the right people of God, Israel or Palestine. Um, the Palestinians have all these rights to the, what God has given to Israel. And there's a whole backing of big portions of the church that I'm not against the Palestinian people. I believe that God wants to use them mightily, and he has a call on their lives, and he loves them. But they don't deserve the things that God has reserved for Israel. But that's Seems to be the focus of what's wanted there. Anyway, if you see that in the natural, in the spiritual, the same thing's happening. Same thing's happening in the spiritual realm that you can see in the physical realm taking place. Uh, there's a, a, a huge division, if you will. And... Uh, Maybe I'll come back to that thought and develop it a little bit, but we'll see. Um, chapter 17, verse 1. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. I've seen too many people with false humility. Oh, you know, you know. Oh, well, that was great what you did. That was wonderful. What a blessing. You know, that was really powerful. That was really, you know, thank you for praying for me. You know, God really used you. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Jesus is saying right here, yeah. The glory I received, though, I'm giving it to God. I'm not going to take that glory and hold it to myself and say, I will be glorified. I'm just going to give it back to God. It's okay to receive glory. His glory falls on you. It's okay to have glory fall on you. It's okay to be uh, given glory. He says here, he says, the, the glorify your son so he can glor uh, give glory back to you. That's the purpose of those kind of things that happen in our lives. We get lifted up it's so that we can give the glory to God for those things. Amen? Um. It's okay to ask for glory. Verse 4, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. How do you glorify God? Acknowledge Him in everything you do and to do the things that He's given you to do on earth. So that you can bring glory to him. Let me close with this. Everything that exists, including you, was created for the express purpose to bring glory and honor to God. 
in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. All things were created by him and for him. All things. You were created by God. You're, you're unique. You're different than anybody else. Don't ever try to be somebody else. Oh, I wish I could just be like that person. They're so prophetic. I wish I could just be nice. I wish I could be kind. I wish I could be charismatic. I wish I could be, you know, stop all that wishing. Just thank you, God, for who you made me to be. I'm here to bring you glory. Use me. Hallelujah. I'm acknowledging you in all my ways. Hallelujah. Amen. The purpose of God is that you would bring glory to him. That all things were created for him and by him. And he was given a name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that he is the Lord. Hallelujah. That's another great way to bring glory to God is just acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. That's one of the best ways you can bring glory to God. Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is in your life. Uh, a little testimony, he's not here today, but Toke uh, brought a guy to the, the dinner, the men's dinner, um, Thursday night. And, you know, the guy shows up, Toke's not here. He wanders in, you know, Toke, he wanders in when he does. I like that about him. Anyway, he shows up, but this guy named Lou. So here I thought this guy Lou was a longtime friend of Toke's. So Lou's here, and we're getting to know him, and, you know, he looks a little bit like, where's this guy that invited me? Later I find out Toke knew Lou for about four minutes. He met him on the Matanuska Trail hiking at the, at the head of the trail and said, Hey, I happen to be going to this men's barbecue tonight. Would you like to come as my guest? We have good food, good fellowship. So uh, Lou wanders in. Now, how does that fit with this? Simply. Toke simply said, You know, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus, and we're having this men's thing. There's hardly any way you can give glory in any greater way than the acknowledgement of Jesus Christ in your life and what he's done in your life. Amen. Let's all stand up and give him some praise.